0: Welcome to another episode of Through Thick and Thin. Coming to you from the Granite State, repping the mean streets of Hampstead, where we turned our clocks forward last night. Well, today we have an amazing story in store for you, Alan and Amy. One thing after another, the adversity that they overcame and continue to overcome is testament to their resolve. Here we go. Fasten those seatbelts.
1: Hey, my name is Alan, and I live in Concord, New Hampshire. I was born in a small town called Claremont, New
2: Hampshire. I'm Amy, and I currently live in Concord as well. And I was actually born in Manchester, New Hampshire, so I'm born and raised. Alan
0: and Amy, welcome to the
2: show Through Thick and Thin. Um.
0: am really you. excited to have a couple of diehard 603 folks here representing the show, along with myself, who is born and bred here
1: as well. Great. Excited to be here.
0: Ellen, first I need to make a little disclaimer, because you and I know one another from our mm-hmm. days at one of the rehab hospitals, so I just want to let the audience know that in advance. And... We will get to more of that later. I'm going to hand the microphone over to you, Alan, so that you can let me know a little bit about yourself and what life was like pre-August of 2016. So go ahead.
1: What life was like? Well, I had two kids. One at a very young age, um, at the age of 16, had a daughter. Had to leave school, um, got a job, of course, supported her. I ended up moving to Manchester and had a, another child. and had a son. They grew up. Life went on as they got older. My wife and I, of course, split apart. And um, a few years later, my cousin Brenda actually gave me a, gave me a call and she had said um, hey you need to meet this this girl of mine this, I've known her a good part of my whole life and it, it was very strange because this girl Amy she grew up around my family in Manchester and I never knew it until the day we we met and, and and we talked about it, which is pretty pretty ironic. Um, so yeah, we we met about I, I, it was mid July I guess, two thousand sixteen, and we hit it off right off. We um we had some good times. We started off doing a little bit of camping. Went to this um, small little campground called Kiser Pond and. You know, we, we had a tent <laughs> and this uh, pain in the butt dog that we we brought along. <laughs> and he almost the dog almost um he almost drowned me. I went in to get him <laughs> and, and he, I couldn't swim and Amy had to she actually had to go in the water and, and and, and yeah, saved me from my my dog drowning me. But we went uh, we went camping and we met some good people. great we hit people. It off. Yeah, we hit it off pretty good. A couple of people we met, um, Dave and Carly became great great friends. Um, Sue and Kevin, great friends which we still talk to today and many more. But that um, that first weekend we went camping we um we hit it off really good with with, with one couple especially Dave and Dave and Carly There's much that, more that's actually on. when
2: i let me just interject that that's actually joe when i learned that um tents are uh, see-through apparently
1: i wasn't going to mention that before. oh no
2: so so while we were on this camping trip Um, which we were both so excited for, we were getting ready to, you know, hit the sack and there was this one light, like spotlight shining on our tent. And I'm like, I don't know, people can see in the tent. And I was like, no, 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 nobody can see in the tent. Well, the next day, a bunch of the campers got into one of the golf carts because that's what they do around there. And they all sat outside our tent and watched us pack up and started clapping. And I'm like, what are they clapping for? And Alan's like, they're clapping at you. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, nice tent show last night. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah,
1: she's supposed to be the smart one. Go figure.
2: Well, I said, the spotlight, I think it's going to shine through. No, 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 no. Well... It does.
0: Oh, that's a little embarrassing.
2: It was very embarrassing. I mean, but they were great folks. And like Alan said, we made really good friends with them. And, you know, they teased us about it. And we shared a, a moonshine with them. And all was good. That's a good story. And these are people that you just met. Yeah, people we just met, literally. But you know what, though? They were people that we just met. And maybe they we just met them for a reason. Because... That weekend, Alan and I had also planned and set money aside to go back for a big Labor Day bash. So it was just before Alan's accident. And um, we had set up taking the site that we basically called our site. And it was near our friends, Dave and Carly. And, you know, we were planning our, our next trip up there a few months later. And it was just, it was a really good time. Our site. Our site.
1: For sure, right under the spotlight.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and so, yeah, what so, next, Ellen? Yeah, it was it was good. <clears throat> like like Amy said, we we were planning on um, on coming back, and um, we are actually talking about um, moving in together, getting getting a bigger place, and um, you know, getting maybe some uh, dog lessons. Uh, our our dog we had at the time that I uh, I actually pulled him out of a, uh, a rescue out of a bad situation between almost drowning me and pulling Amy down a flight of stairs. <laughs> yeah, we talked about getting lessons for for the dog and we talked about moving in and we bought you know little started buying things together things that we wanted you know, grills and just things for uh, for our future.
0: And this was July of 2016, so you had just started dating as a couple. Mm-hmm. And did you um, go on many dates after that camping trip?
2: Oh, every day. We were together every day. We went on a date, and it was a good date, and then I actually had a, another date planned for the following evening with somebody completely different because I had been divorced for a while and I was already dating. And uh, so I, did, I didn't want to break my date because, you know, Alan was a new guy. I mean, who was he? Was he going to be the one or was he just some guy?
1: I didn't so, hook quite all the way yet. So.
2: <laughs> he, he had asked me, do you want to go out? tomorrow night, and I said, well, I can't, I mean, I have another date, but if it ends early, you know, we can get together, or, so I ended up going on that date, it was what it was, it was a nice date, and, uh, then Alan and I got together that Sunday, and we were together every day after that.
0: And Alan, take me to August of 2016, what happened?
1: Well, that's, uh. It's a day that changed my life. Do you know, when I, I, I'm going to step back a little bit. When I I was growing up in Claremont, I would, when I was younger, I would see people in wheelchairs and, you know, pushing themselves down, down the road. And I wasn't sure how to really be around them. So I would across the street, I would um, shy away. You know, 2016, it changed my life, changed my perspective, it changed everything. I was, um, like Amy said, we're together every night, every day, and I had a motorcycle and I would go out on rides every morning, every evening. This ride was just a tad bit different the normal trip I take, you know, jumping on the highway and, you know, getting that wind in your hair and you know, it's the time you feel free when you travel in triple digits down the highway and just you feel different. I can't explain it. And um that night I was was getting on to the highway to do my normal trip and um. Yeah, the bike just caught a little bit of sand on, on the highway. And as usual, I just had a, a pair of glasses on and shorts, t-shirt.
2: Well, we should go back to that day because we were actually at a party to celebrate Alan um, sort of owning half of a garage he was sort of starting to open his business again a little bit. And uh, we were having a good time, and we both had a few drinks. And after that party, we left, and I had Alan drop me off, and he said he wanted to ride the bike. And I had this, like, this strange feeling, and I said, I really don't think you should get on the bike. It was just like the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and um he said no i just gonna go ride it for like five minutes and clear my head i'll be good and then uh 45 minutes later i had a knock on the door from the police that alan was in a terrible accident
0: wow that's quite amazing that you had that feeling that intuition that something was going to go wrong.
2: it was i actually stood in front of the door joe and i put my arms out and i said please i really just don't think that you should I don't think you should go out. But if you've met Alan, (laughs) he's a little obstinate.
1: You know, when she had said that, you know, you you shouldn't go, I get a bad feeling. And I I still remember looking at her and I'm like, what is with you females and your bad feelings? What's, What's up with that? Right, well, you know, I understand that now. For sure. But yeah, forty five minutes later I was getting on the highway and the bike went down. That's really all I remember. And I'm so glad I I don't have that memory. Yeah, that's a good thing. You
0: don't have anything to wake you up in the middle of the
1: night in a cold sweat. Oh I I I still I mean there there's certain parts I remember I remember just getting on to the the on ramp and you know just having fun on those on those turns and I remember the bike going down and the the next thing I remember is God, I remember laying on this bright, bright yellow backboard, and It was it was awful. I was screaming, screaming and that I, um, I had possibly been, my body got thrown in the highway. Sorry, hey, Amy, can you take
2: a look? Yes. Oh, so he, the bike, I guess, went down. We don't really know what happened, but the bike went down and he, essentially skidded across the highway and it really wasn't even that late it was like 10 30 at night funny thing is is I mean I guess we'll decide at the end if this is something you keep but so when Alan and I first started dating obviously I first thing I always asked was are you married or are you divorced and he said he was divorced Well, I went to the emergency room, of course, to see how Alan was doing, and I couldn't get in. Because apparently Alan had a wife and was still married. Oh, no. Yes. And um, they had not been together for a few years, so it wasn't like I was, you know, the first girlfriend. Um, But so his kids were there and his wife, per se, was there. And um, I couldn't get in. I couldn't even get in to see how he was doing. I couldn't get anybody to tell me anything. It was it was a horrible night. It was it was bad.
1: I re- I remember um, first of all I remember laying that, that bright yellow backboard laying on the highway screaming. Um, but I also remember in the emergency it was so weird. I remember looking. One of the doctors had glasses. And I remember looking in his glasses, and it looked like someone just like took all the skin off me. My face was just... oh, it was, it was a mess. It was a mess. And I was screaming, screaming for Amy to come, because she wasn't she wasn't coming, and I couldn't understand why. Um, you know, we were separated. My wife and I were separated. And,
2: you know, I I, I guess I was hoping that. She was still the emergency contact, essentially. So every medical document had her as the emergency contact. And it was brutal when I wasn't able to tell Alan that I was here. You know, I was still here. I heard what happened. You're going to be okay. But I uh, didn't have the opportunity to do that.
0: How did that make you feel, Amy?
2: It was very, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, I actually went to Boston when he got transferred to Boston. I tried to see him there and they wouldn't let me in, which, as you know, driving to Boston is just brutal anyway. So I had to turn around and come back and it was probably about a month later. I, it was like Labor Day weekend, maybe, and No, it was later than that. But I I remember I was at a barbecue and I got a phone call and I got a text actually from Alan's friend, Jean, and it said, answer your phone. So I I answered the phone. Yeah. And uh, it was Alan and he's like, where have you been? Why haven't you come to see me? And I just, I cried. It was, it was great because I knew that I was finally going to be able to get to see him without being blocked.
0: So it was a month before. Like, were you getting updates from his friends? Nothing.
2: Nothing. Alan? His his friends. His so it got really bad actually. Um, Alan didn't hang with the g- greatest circle of friends, and his wife is not really. She wasn't the nicest of people, and um, they started saying that Alan told somebody that he didn't want me in his life and how are they really sure um, that I'm as genuine as I am and don't tell me anything, don't give me any money, don't give me any information. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad.
0: That's awful. That really yeah,
2: yeah it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the easiest of situations. It, I, I often say to people that it felt like I was living a lifetime movie it was like the classic, you know, boy meets girl. Uh, boy is in a traumatic motorcycle accident. Girl finds out, boy is married. I mean, it, it really was like a Lifetime movie.
0: And you were handcuffed the whole time because there was nothing you could do with the hospitals?
2: Nothing, not a thing. I couldn't come in and see how he was doing medically. And coming from a nursing background, it was, that was hard, not knowing what was going on.
0: And Alan, were you unconscious or in a coma the entire time? Or, you know, when did you realize that Amy was not with you?
1: So when I left, they they brought me to the Elliot Hospital. And Elliot couldn't really do much for me. So they sent me to Boston. And I was in a coma for just over a month, I believe. And I woke up. And you know, my my friend at the time, Jean was there, and my daughter. I all, I, I, I just had this sick feeling come over me. It was awful. I thought, I thought because Amy wasn't there, I thought she was on the back of the bike. And I actually thought that that I killed a person, that I killed Amy. I thought she was on the bike. What an
0: awful feeling!
1: You have no idea. You have no idea. But um, were they telling
0: you anything
1: about her? Um, when, when when I woke up and you know I had those thoughts and I was panicking and everything, and Jean and my daughter were there. Jean was a, a person that I uh, grew up with. We were we were friends for a few years, he was there, my daughter, and they quickly, you know, told me, no, Amy wasn't on the bike, and here, you can call her, you can talk to her, so yeah, that was our, our first, um, I guess, reunion a month later, I said I was going for a ride, and, you know, over a month later, I, I get to talk to the person. Amy,
0: I cannot even imagine what that month must have been like for you.
2: It I I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Joe, it was it was brutal. That's why I often say to Alan that, you know, his version of what took place is very different than, say, his son and daughter and even his ex wife's version than what played out for me. Because like I said, I knew nothing for a month. And when I finally did get to see him, I mean, I I couldn't really ask the nurses any questions because here's, you know, in my head, I was laughing because working in nursing, I'm like, this is a, this is a shit show for nurses because this is like, here the wife has been the whole time. Now here comes the girlfriend. And now we have to all make sure that the girlfriend doesn't come when the wife comes. And I mean, it was just, it was comical, but it it was, it was brutal. It was a very, very long month. But after that, um, I was able to visit Alan every weekend. I would go up and spend the entire weekend up at Brigham's. Um, and we did that for four months. He was there for four months. Um, and like I would go up Friday night. I would finish my shift and I'd hop on a bus and And I'd go and spend the weekend with him and I'd get him like shaved up or washed up or, you know, whatever the nurses weren't doing or keeping up with.
0: And what was that like the very first time you saw him in person?
2: Um, I couldn't believe it. Well, so the nurse in me, I guess, blocked out what actually happened. You know, basically here he is. He can't move his arms or his legs and he's in horrible pain, but. The nurse in me said, I mean, this is just still the same guy I know. He's had a traumatic accident and we kind of have to figure this out. And um, I, I honestly have to say the nurse in me knew that Alan is still Alan and he is going to only get stronger as time goes on. The first few years as you know, Joe, are very hard. They're very difficult. You're almost relearning how to live life, um, your new life. And uh, once you figure out how to do that and how to have, you know, a successful relationship with open communication, it's, it's still the same person.
0: That's right. And Alan, for you, when you are finally allowed to have Amy come visit
1: you? What was that like? The first thing I did that the nurse came in, I said, just to let you know, um, the the wife, we're, we're separated. You don't have to listen to her anymore. And I remember the nurse, she's like, oh my, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I remember that very good. Um, when Amy first came in to see me, Um, I mean, I was a mess. I I was in and out of surgeries. Um, I was was a mess. She uh, she came in. Like like she said, she was there.
2: It was like like, his cheerleader, you know, like, you got this. Like, you can do this. And life is different in a wheelchair. But some parts of life are better. Some parts are harder.
1: And there was so much, I mean, I, I remember, you know, about a month, uh, probably two months after my accident, of course, I was still in the hospital, um, I still haven't had a shower or anything. Uh, the hospital didn't dare, they couldn't move me for a solid month and a half, just because all of the 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 broken bones and the road rash, which we'll go over. Um, but two months later, I was I was able to get a shower. Amy has asked, you know, when's the last time we've had a shower and no one could answer it? And I, re- I remember her cleaning my ears out and, and taking pavement out of my ears.
2: I, I remember you know, the nurses also, they were saying, well, you can't give him a shower and I said, the hell i can't and i said show me the shower chair there's a shower in his room this man hasn't had a shower in going on almost three months and i'm like he needs a shower whether he has pain or not it's it's what you do and um i remember some of them were like well we'll see if we're free to help you and i said i don't need any help i'm fine So I just said, give me a bunch of towels, point me in the direction of the shower chair or the best one that you got that we can put Alan in. And I loaded him in the shower chair. And I mean, I stacked it with pillows and because they didn't even have the right equipment. And I just stacked it with pillows because his arms were still all busted up and um, got him all kind of situated. And I remember he was like, oh, my God, this feels so good. I haven't showered in so long. And basically, every weekend when I went up, I made sure that he had a shower and a shave and that he was well taken care of.
0: So was that the nurse in you or the loving girlfriend in you that took such great care of him?
2: So that would definitely be the girlfriend in me, even though I knew medically what could happen if he, you know, wasn't bathed or um, rotated and things like that, but... When I was there, I, I I actually told Alan not to tell anybody. I said, don't let anybody know I'm a nurse. I don't want anybody to know, just because I just want to see how they do their jobs. So I actually didn't even tell anybody till a few months into it.
0: And Alan, you were in the hospital for four months. So what, was, what happened in the accident? <clears throat> you know, what was going on with your body at the time?
1: Oh, gosh. My body was a mess. Like I said, the road rash. It, w- it was everywhere. Um, going in and out of surgeries, getting debridement, getting the tar out of here, everywhere, out of the face, out of the arms, out of the legs. Um, that was bad enough. But I, um, I broke my back in seven places. I severed my spine at T5, severed my spine at T5. I broke just about all the ribs on the left side. Broke both arms, uh, the right arm, hand, wrist, forearm, arm. Um, The left side, I broke from the hand all the way up to the clavicle. They were actually going to remove my left arm, but it was uh, it was so bad. Um, and I also broke well, it broke my nose, but it's been broken more than once, so we can't really count that. And um, geez, Amy,
2: you shattered <clears throat> both arms, basically from your fingertips to your clavicle. Um, had to have a skin graft on his left inner forearm because that was all chewed up from road rash, I suppose.
0: Four months in the hospital. What was it like towards the end, and what were they telling you about what would come next?
1: Yeah, well, I I was going back and forth. I wanted to to go to Spalding because I... Well, the, the nurse in Amy knew that Spaulding was a good place to be. Um, They were not able to accept me for another month or so, and I just very, very, very much wanted to to get out of that hospital. Um, Not that I wasn't treated good there. I actually got a, uh, as I was leaving, the whole hallway was loaded up with doctors, nurses, and they were all clapping that I was uh that I was leaving. So they gave me a warm welcome goodbye, half of which um, were probably glad I was leaving, and the other half were amazed that I was leaving. But when it came to going to crotch going to rehab, I ended up picking Crotched Mountain only because I could go there quicker.
2: Alan wanted to do everything quick. <clears throat> he wanted to get out of the hospital quick. He wanted to go to rehab quick. He wanted to get home. He thought it was a very, very quick process.
1: There, There is one thing I can say that that really made me Realize how traumatic this really was Is when the doctor I I asked the doctors, you know, what about this or what about that? And when can I move my arms and you know, would I ever walk again and what about this? What about that and every single doctor everybody they're just looking at you like you got ten heads and nobody can answer anything and When one of the doctors actually said, anyone that has injuries like yourself, less injuries than you have, they're all in the morgue. And that was a huge eye-opener for me to realize just how lucky I was.
0: It's a miracle. It really is.
2: I, he battled so many infections, I have no idea how. I, I, I honestly don't know. Well, you're a fighter,
1: I, Alan. You definitely are. You know, I, I remember one time being in the hospital, and um, I wasn't eating. I went from over 200 pounds down to 140, because um, I, I just I couldn't eat in the hospital. After they took the feeding tube out and the, um you know, the, the trach out and everything. And they gave me real food. I just, I just couldn't eat except for my chocolate. Um And this one nurse would bring me in chocolate cake and I would eat it every time. And this one time I just wouldn't eat and I was getting sicker and sicker and... And, um, yeah, Amy, Amy ended up getting a phone call. Yeah, yeah 4 ahead. o'clock
2: in the morning the nurse called me and she said, I came in for my ship tonight at 11 and I brought Alan a piece of that chocolate chocolate cake and he didn't want it and he just didn't look good. And she said, uh, then I went in to check on him and... He had a fever, and um he needed to go in for emergency surgery on his arm he had He had actually become unconscious and I said, "Well, then you need to take him in and they said, "Well, we tried calling his daughter, and there's no answer and I said, "Well, I'm the second one on the list. you got to take him in
0: and you went in for surgery at that point
2: he did. again,
1: again were, at that point, I was already up to the, you know, number 15, 16, 17 on the surgery list.
0: No kidding. That was,
1: I was yeah. pretty high. In fact, when Amy came to see me, um, my nose was all messed up and my, my lip was actually hanging down to my chin. They didn't sew that up until almost two months after because I had so many other issues
2: they wanted to actually wait to operate on his arms um, because they were so swollen but he developed such a bad infection they ended up having to go in i believe like the second day he was at brigham and they had already scheduled a surgery for a few days later but they said they couldn't wait any longer he was just getting sicker and they said that you know they just they were basically trying to put his arms back together they were broken up like puzzles
0: that's incredible and, and you went in for the surgery, and I take it everything went as good
1: as they could have gone? As good as they could have gone, I remember, so I remember it, certain things here and there. I, it's funny, I remember being I brought to the hospital and, you know, this is my version, of course sitting down with the doctor, and the doctor saying, yeah, you screwed up pretty good. We got to take care of you, and then they put me in this cubby and stuck me outside the wall of the hospital. Um, See, so yeah, I had some pretty weird dreams, you could say. I bet. Infections, um, yeah, weird dreams with those infections. It was, one thing I did have is, was two things I want to say. One of the times I was in for surgery on my left arm, and during surgery, I actually, I, I woke up and I saw someone taking a drill inside my arm, and I actually thought I did something so bad where I was in hell and I was being tortured
0: it sounds like it
1: I I mean I really really thought that and then I was out again but I had a reoccurring dream that I was in this car this race car and just driving around this track all by myself and I you know I would try to pull in the pit area and get out of that car and and my father he was there and he was like pushing me back inside that car you know telling me not to get out i can't get out what so a weird was, dream yeah that was my version i mean i didn't see any bright light i didn't see any of that but i saw my deceased father um talking with me and and making sure that i that i i guess didn't Get it out of that car, didn't give up. I guess you could look at it a couple of different ways. Definitely.
0: And so I'm taking some mental notes here. And Amy, you mentioned earlier it's like mm-hmm. a lifetime movie. It so is. So you had just started dating in July. Alan gets injured in a very serious, life threatening injury in August. Mm hmm so what were those four months like when alan was in the hospital relationship wise did you ever have second thoughts like hmm, maybe this isn't the guy i want to be with or what was going through your mind
2: no i didn't have those um i did have people on the outside though saying you know hey this is do you really want the rest of your life to be like this i mean you don't know how he's going to turn out and you know this this could be your chance to kind of kind of leave and you know nobody would be nobody would be upset with you if you did so and i just kept thinking about it and i kept going back and forth and i said no this is this is the guy that i enjoy spending my time with this is the guy that i enjoy talking with you know we're going to have to learn a different life life is going to be a little different possibly a little bit harder for us but you know once we figure out our routine, it's going to be a good life. And I just kept kind of focusing on the fact that I knew that the future was coming. I knew that at some point Alan was going to be driving again. And I knew that, you know, at some point we would be moved back into a new place. And um, I guess I just kept focusing on the future and not so much on the here and now on the, this this actually happened, and I could duck out, and, you know, who knows? I mean, who knows where someone's life would have went?
0: So you were focusing in on the positives, and Alan, you woke up from a coma, you know, a, a month later, and your wife, who's now your ex-wife, was there, and Amy was nowhere in sight because of the hospital policies, and... You know, what was going through your mind when it comes to Amy? You know, I know that you probably missed her, but, you know, tell me a little bit about your thought process at that time.
2: So, I... I remember him asking me, you know, are you sure you want to be with me? Are you sure this is what you want? That was big for him.
1: Yeah, and I I do remember that, and... You know, I didn't realize just how um, devoted a a person could be, and how caring nurses really are. Um, You know, and and there was times that I, I I even pushed her away and everything, and yeah, it was um, it was it was tough. I wasn't sure if she wanted to stick around. At the same time, I didn't blame her one bit. And um, yeah, then Crossed Mountain came along. And, and what was that like when you first got there? When I first got there, Amy was there. Amy uh, and my daughter, actually. The two of them followed, followed the ambulance up. They had to still bring me by ambulance. I was still in, in such bad shape. I had a pressure wound that was down on my spine on the backside. I still had both arms were still a mess. Um, I had, um, I ended up having a piece of titanium that was in my arm, pop out through my arm uh, when I was at Crockett Mountain shortly after I got there. But when I was there, they followed me there. Um, they got me out of the ambulance. They brought me into the room. Amy, my daughter Kayla was there. And um, yeah, got unloaded and and um, yeah, Amy was there again, I guess, just about every weekend stopping up. You know, it's one thing I wanna, Amy, you, you should bring up is, you know, me and the chocolate when it comes, uh, when, when I was in the hospital, that chocolate pudding.
2: Well, he, yeah, he had this, like, an un- insatiable sweet tooth when he was in the hospital. <clears throat> it was very strange. And, of course, you know, him being so heavily medicated, he would ask for some of the strangest things. And sometimes during his infections, he would ask for the strangest things. And I always told him that if you keep a stash of little mini chocolates in your room, the nurses will always treat you better because... It gives the nurses a chance to take a break, to eat a piece of chocolate, to sit and talk with the patient. And it's just a just a good tool. So I made sure that he always had a candy stash for the nurses. And um, one day I was visiting and <clears throat> there, was, there was actually this great place not far from Brigham where you could walk and it was like a strip mall almost and it had a bunch of different eateries. So I would always give him like a smorgasbord of choices of food too. Um, but he said to me, Oh, I'd really love some pudding. And I said, Oh, okay. And he said, but I need you to take the candy bars and I need you to cut them up into little pieces. And I need you to put it in the pudding for me. I said, Oh, okay. So I start doing it. And he says, no, 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 I can't eat it like that. It has to sit. The the chocolate has to sit, the chocolate pudding and the chocolate candy has to sit together. And I'm sitting there going, is this guy all right? Is is there something wrong with him? This chocolate pudding, like, okay. Um, But so it ended up being one of the times that he had a serious infection. It was actually just before Thanksgiving. Um, But when he got to Crotcher Mountain, it was actually kind of fun because there was a lot of stuff that we could do. Um, When he wasn't spending his time in rehab and everything, there was these little cabins actually that I could stay in. Um, as opposed to sleeping in a a jerry chair, you know, in a hospital room. Um, so that was actually kind of nice, and they treated the family, well, like family, you know. So I would come, and it was it was nice when he finally got to rehab, and we were finally crossing over that next bridge.
0: That's great, and Alan, did you enjoy the physical and occupational therapy that you were getting?
1: Oh my god it was it was so one thing I remember Amy saying um, when, we were, when we' were leaving the hospital she's like okay the easy part's done I'm like what She's like the easy part's done you're you survived now you gotta go and get beat up at Ot and PT and at that point um, when I got to crotch and Mountain and then I got ready to do all my rehab they were lowering my doses from i mean they they had me on ketamine at the hospital, so they were slowly bringing my my doses down and it was um it was hard it it was it was it was painfully painfully hard um yeah it was and you know what it's that the hardest part about it is having those drugs in you and having to c- come down it hurts so bad when they would you know lower the drugs but being an ex addict you know you don't want to speak up you don't want to say anything because you feel like it's all in your head so you just try to go with the flow and and you get that rehab and You know, you scream when they're trying to bend something that you know hasn't been bent, or you know, get the arms over the head when I couldn't even lift a finger. And so, yeah, that that rehab was was tough, but you know, those times that you know you could have your own time, go outside and enjoy the sun, or hang out with people you meet
2: yeah that
0: spring of twenty seventeen was something, so to loop the the listeners back in uh this is where Alan, you and I met at Crotchcha mountain and a very beautiful setting on the side of a mountain. It was quite the place it it was a little bit a beautiful setting, but it also felt like the shining at times, at least to me. <laughs>
2: It was out there. That's for sure.
0: It wasn't. We were there until July of 2017 when they they kicked us out. Pretty was, much, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, got I... our letters from the state saying you have to leave by this date,
2: otherwise yeah. you're
0: property of the state.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember that.
0: And that was because they were closing down. Uh, they they decided to shut the rehab hospital side down at that time. And
1: from there, Ellen, you went home, correct? So I did. I I very much wanted to get out. I wanted to get out of the hospital, so I I went to Crotchet Mountain instead of waiting for Spalding. You know, I went to a place that they didn't tell us they were going to be closing. So you know they were supposed to be out in July, and of course me it's no, I want to go home now i I June came around and I wanted to be home for my for my birthday for Father's Day. I wanted to be home, and they weren't gonna let me leave because I didn't have a ramp at my house and um well, again, if you know me. You, you would realize that, uh, yes, I was leaving.
2: Alan didn't want a ramp, um, and he refused every time that we said, we're going to have someone build a ramp. We're going to take the stairs out and build a ramp. No, 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 you're not going to build a ramp. How, well, how are we going to get you in, Alan? We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. That's what it was always, we'll figure it out. And I said, well, here's the thing, though. They'll do a home visit, and if they don't think they can safely get you home, they're not going to allow you to come home. Oh, no, I'll be going home. I'll be going home. Nobody will be keeping me here. So we got a friend to slap up a makeshift ramp. And actually, no, I take that back. We didn't have a ramp. They dropped him Mm -hmm. off. And we used ramps to get him through the front door. He was on a gurney, I want to say. And we used, no, he was in the uh, rental wheelchair. And we used ramps for him to drive up through the front door and uh, waited for someone to build ramps for him to basically get out.
1: Sorry, Joe, but ramps my ass. There were two two-by-fours that they pushed me up on. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow but I worked out that. <laughs> but I was so, um, you know, let's go back to Claremont when I saw that guy coming down the road in the wheelchair and I crossed roads. I, I went on the other side of the road. Well, now here I am. I'm in a wheelchair. Now I'm um, that person. And I still didn't want to be around that person. I wanted my ramp in the back. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anyone to see me in a wheelchair because I didn't want to be that person.
0: Right, that she was on the other foot.
1: Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, it took, me, it took me a bit. We got the house fully. Well, you know, let me back up a little bit. When I was in Crotchet Mountain, um, I was already in the rear of my house, the house payments. And when I was in Crotchet Mountain, I went even further in the rear, so they were going to take the house, and I had no place to go at that point. And when I left Crotchet Mountain, I was going to be, well, homeless, homeless coming out across the mountain and I was facing homelessness so I filed for bankruptcy just so I could keep the house and we got it fully rehabbed we got a stair lift this you know so I can go down cellar and do whatever it is that I am gonna plan on doing setting up a workout room and had had all these great ideas of what I wanted to do you know got the shower rehab and Got the doors widened for me, and got everything all done, and it was it was good. I started slowly working out. Um, My routine was, you know, doing range of motion, getting my arms, you know, a few inches high, you know, a few inches higher every day. Is doing whatever I can do. I started off with um, not weights but uh, soup cans for doing curls. It was tough, it was very tough. And uh, Amy was there, Amy was there um, taking care of me.
0: So not only was Amy your girlfriend, but she was your
1: primary caregiver at the time. Well, you know, at the time, yes, but I also had OT and PT coming out of the house because I left Crotchet Mountain and they set me up with a doctor that, <laughs> the Crotchet Mountain sent me home with like a couple weeks worth of all of my medications. They had me on, I mean, these medications for spasms, uh, medications for pains, the nerve pain was awful. The nerve pain, I don't wish nerve pain on my worst enemy. Awful pain um burn victims my i i feel so bad for them because um like i said nerve pain's awful
0: it is and if you've if you've never had it you'll have no idea what it's like to go a day or even an hour with that it's it's just a, a really bad
1: situation to be in mm-hmm. and we still kept our our friends you know a couple of friendships we we still talked with um actually the people from the campground from from keys dave and carly we still stayed connected with them and it's funny carly would send me what was it every week i think amy she'd send me uh
2: every week a, a card with a scratcher in it so that way when he was able to hold a quarter he would be able to scratch all of these scratchers and well hopefully one of them would be a winner but I never did have the heart to tell her that we only won two dollars off of all those scratchers.
1: No, I think it was three.
2: Might have been three. Yeah, but
0: it's a thought that counts, right?
2: Absolutely. It is a that I counts. mean, we had, you know, as you know, probably um, your entire circle of friends changes um, when you get into a wheelchair. Not, not necessarily because you don't fit in or they don't fit in anymore, but. Maybe just some of your friends don't know how to accept the wheelchair, you know, maybe they don't know how to look past the wheelchair. Um, I found that my family actually grew closer with us. Um, My family actually grew up, we grew up with a neighbor that actually had spina bifida, so we actually grew up with friends and kids that we played with in the neighborhood in wheelchairs, so it wasn't really a foreign concept to myself or any of my family members, so... They kind of just swooped right in and you know it was uh we had a good support system
0: right and it is a foreign concept to some people and they just don't know how to accept you the way that you are because they're thinking of the old alan and they're not quite sure you know what the new alan is going to be like and you know it's 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 tough for them it's tough for everyone it's it's really difficult for you, Amy, because you know, you're the girlfriend and now you're his caregiver and and you've got a full-time job as a nurse. So people don't quite understand and appreciate how difficult these situations are for the significant
2: other in a relationship. Right. It's, it's different. I actually had a friend one time... Um, we sat down for coffee and she said, let me ask you, how are you doing? And I said, you know, no one has ever asked me, actually asked me that question through this entire accident. No one has ever actually said, how are you doing? Um, and I told her, I said, you know, sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's really not. You know, as Alan gets stronger and is more independent and as his fear starts, you know, his fears of, uh, transferring starts to, he gets more confident in transfers and gets more confident that he can participate in certain activities. You know, life started getting a little bit more fun and a little bit more entertaining and, but it's, uh, one of the biggest things I would say is when your circle of friends changes, it's, um, yeah, you, you don't really, as the spouse slash caregiver, you don't really have anybody to talk to or bounce things off of. or um, And it's very rare to meet other couples that are, shall we say, successful in their relationships after an accident like this. Um, we met one other couple, but the, the wife is not very, they're not really into doing anything outside of the home. Um, so that was a little difficult, but... Yeah, it's it's different. It is.
0: It's a challenge and no one knows what it's like to live a you know, live a day in your life with everything that's going on with Alan and with the dynamics of your relationship. So um it is, it's a challenge and it's a challenge for other couples to understand and to be able to relate. And I think yes. that scares people away sometimes.
2: Yes, it does. You know, and and I've I've found too that, I don't know if you've noticed this, but questions that typically, if you were on foot or in a different situation, questions that would typically be considered inappropriate, for some reason, people don't find them to be inappropriate anymore when you're uh, in an interabled relationship. Um, And they ask some really bizarre questions sometimes. And I know part of it's curiosity, and, and I am actually very much okay with curiosity, with genuine, honest curiosity. But someone who's just being curious just because they're being nosy, I, I have no desire to answer them.
0: Right. And I wonder if it's just people are out of their element, and they get to the point where, yeah, they're, they're nervous, and they don't really know how to act
2: or what to ask sometimes. Right. Yeah, you just, we don't know, Right. Right, right. I just it's it, it amazed me sometimes, and then I remember we went to a barbecue with Alan's family, and it was a couple of years after his accident. And I remember his sister in law kept introducing me as the caregiver, and I finally, after the third introduction of "this is the caregiver," I pulled her aside and I said, uh, "Darlene, you got to stop introducing me as the caregiver. I mean." That is one part of what I do in this relationship, but I'm not the caregiver.
0: Right, and I, God bless you, Amy, for being able to, to still help Alan out every day. Um, right. Our spouses, even though we have help around the house, our spouses still play uh, an enormous part of our recovery. But for you, uh, for you, Amy, for doing this all the time, you are an angel and a saint and that one aspect of what you're doing typically is the wedge that drives couples apart when their significant other is playing too much of a role as caregiver so Mm -hmm. maybe maybe you can explain how you're able to to do both because for a lot of people it's it's really difficult
2: it it is difficult and i think The one benefit that I had was being a home care nurse. So being a home care nurse is very different than working, say, in a hospital or a nursing facility, which I did work at both of those as well. Home care was really where I was at. And I think I learned while doing my job as a home care nurse, I learned how to successfully compartmentalize. Okay, this two hours of my day has to be set aside for attention just for Alan. And then after these two hours, our day is our day. And I think for me, I was just able to separate the two successfully. The, the part where I'm helping him to begin his day, I'm able to sort of just disassociate. It's just something that I do. It's just part of my routine. You know, it's kind of like you get up in the morning you make a cup of coffee.
0: Right, and if it's working, why question it,
2: right? Right, right. And, you know, if I'm feeling tired or exhausted, I'm, I'm very direct with Alan, and I'll just say, listen, I haven't been sleeping good. I just, I'm really sorry. I just don't feel like myself. I, I'm doing the best that I can. And, you know, the biggest thing is communication. You've got to have really good communication with each other.
0: Yeah, not only during that time when you're helping him out, but... The rest of the day and the night. Yes. You have to. And so you get home, Alan, and you're at your house. You make the the necessary repairs to make it a little bit more accessible for you. And tell me about the journey from there with, with you and Amy and everything else that's going on
2: in your life. Oh, boy. Well, I guess that's where life gets I- tough. I got him out. I, the, in July, I actually got him to go to a beer festival, and he's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, oh, no, you should go to this. This is something you can go to. These are, these are events that you can attend. And I was just really a big cheerleader for him to get back out into the world and start attending things. So I set up a bus, a wheelchair bus, for us to go to a beer festival on a Saturday. And a basically, I just got him involved in a lot of activities. I basically wouldn't let him have downtime.
0: Good for you, Amy. That's a big part of our recovery is making sure that we get back to some semblance of life, right?
2: Yeah, you, you do. You have to find some sense of normalcy. And I kept telling Alan, this is a new life. This is, you have to find your new routine, your new life, your new, everything is different. Everything is different. We can have some things the same, but everything is different for us from this point on. And for a while, Alan had a hard time with that, but... As he, you know, as he saw the progression of himself getting stronger and being able to do more, I think that was more encouraging to him, like, you know what, I actually can do this. And he was meeting more people that I would reach out to these groups just on Facebook and I'd say, you know what, screw it. What's the worst that someone can say to me? No, you can't attend this function. So I would just type to these people and say, can I bring my boyfriend, Alan? He was in a motorcycle accident. He would love this. And, um, yeah, I just, I got him involved and myself as well.
1: The biggest involvement that really turned things around?
2: Uh, getting, what's that?
1: Getting, getting in that car.
2: Oh, so I, I was on Facebook and I just saw this ad for, oh, Veterans. uh, what's the, what's the group that's out of, um, UNH, Northeast Passage. Northeast Passage was advertising this adaptive race car for veterans and first responders. So of course my first thought was, well, shoot, Alan's not a veteran or a first responder, but he used to drive race cars. And what cooler feeling than to be out of the hospital and get behind the wheel of a race car. I mean, my God. So I just kind of put myself in his shoes and I reached out to this guy and I wrote him a little letter and I said, you know, Alan's not a first responder or a veteran. But he is an avid race car driver slash fan and was recently injured in a motorcycle accident and really needs this boost to kind of just show him that he can drive again and lots of things are going to, lots of doors are going to open up again. And he said, you know what? He said, bring him up and uh, I'll do my best to get him in the race car. And I just took a chance and I booked a hotel and we went up and God, we had a great time. And Alan got behind the wheel of that race car and the smile on his face was Something that I'll remember for the rest of my life.
0: That is so cool. No fear.
2: And when I say no fear, I mean both for Alan and you, Amy, for writing that letter. Absolutely. I, my biggest thing is, what is the worst that someone can say? No. Okay. Move on to the next.
0: And so, Alan, you said that going home, that's when things got difficult. So you're you're getting back into living a a somewhat normal life, but things got difficult. Tell me about that.
1: Um, The normal life was the normal life. I was figuring out the new me. Slowly um, getting into the new me, you know, put the, the wheelchair ramp out front, and, you know, I would go out front and use, we would actually attach the lawnmower to the back of my wheelchair and, the blower to the front of the wheelchair, and I would be out mowing the lawn and blowing the leaves all at the same time. And normally I would only do that out back, but I slowly started doing it out front. And everybody that knew I was in a wheelchair, I finally started letting them see that I was in a wheelchair. So life, life was actually, I thought life was really turning around at that point. We started, you know, attending functions and there was still really no way to get me around. So my friends got together and they would bring their enclosed trailer and put me in the back of that and tie me down and close the door. And Oh God, some in... of the
2: stuff we did was just <laughs> to try to get him to places was crazy. I mean, we went to... Uh the first anniversary of his motorcycle accident, it was a UFC fight and it was a Conor McGregor fight. So it was a big fight. It was kind of a big day for Alan. And I remember these, all of his friends and friends of his friends grabbed his wheelchair and took him down uh, a bulkhead, um, down bulkhead stairs. And the fear on look on his face was like, Oh my God, I never want to do this again. Because of course, you know, now, here's our life where um people invite us to things and events and things at their homes not thinking about the wheelchair we get there and it's not wheelchair accessible how are we going to get alan in we were met with that a lot
1: yeah but listen them bringing me down the bulkhead wasn't bad during that fight everyone was drinking most of them ended up getting drunk them getting me up the bulkhead that was bad. That was the scary part. <laughs>
0: I don't know if I'll ever get that image out of my mind. No, um, it, was... it is. That that was tough. And so, how did how did life get difficult? Because things definitely well, changed. for I you. I know
1: you keep you keep bringing this up, and I keep dancing around this question. I'm not going to let um, you uh,
0: dance around it too much longer, here, Alan.
1: All right. So, this was this was. By far, my accident I thought was ground zero for me, but um, there was something else in life that I guess was planned for me. So when I filed for bankruptcy in the house, um, we did the bankruptcy payments. I, I didn't, I guess, I wasn't aware how all of that worked. And I didn't realize if you don't try to catch up on the rear, that they still can well take the house out from underneath you. So the next thing I know, the house is going up for auction after we just get it completely remodeled for for me. We uh, we ended up selling you know pretty much everything that we just we just got. We just got to fill that house. We sold everything we could, and we we decided to take the summer, and we um, I'm sure you remember the friends, Dave and Carly, we were just talking about. Their father was selling a camper uh, over at Keyser Pond Campground.
2: On a seasonal
1: site. Yeah, on a seasonal site so um we we sold everything we could the washer the dryer the fridge the stove the couch the tv and we we bought this camper to enjoy the summer and at least we had a roof it was a small roof but we had a roof over our head for the summer we knew we were going to be good it was a busy summer too we really enjoyed that summer we really did it was it was a good summer, wasn't it, Amy?
2: It was a great summer.
1: The end of the summer. That's when things took a um, un, unexpected turn. Our friends, Dave and Carly. Dave. Um, well, I guess too much moonshine that night, and he had thought I said something derogatory or threw his wife under the bus or said something just that that rubbed him the wrong way as he was drunk. And he actually came and, um, yeah, he, he, um, he came and he smashed, he, he hit my wheelchair with his golf cart hard enough to total the wheelchair. He was so inebriated. He, he he got out of the golf car and, and and you were in the
0: wheelchair when this happened.
1: I was I was was I was in the wheelchair and he 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 didn't want me in that wheelchair. He wanted to get me out of it. He picked me up by my neck and yeah I tried to tip the wheelchair over. I I uh. I was is a mess. A, This is unbelievable, Alan. Yeah the. The police came. I had, um, at that point, I had blackened eye. I had um, hand marks around my throat. Um, I was all bruised up and everything. And the The police, of course, called the ambulance for me. And they, they brought me to the hospital. And they you know released me later. And that's when I realized just how how awful people can really be. How mean people can really be. That campground that I loved so much that I would look out that window and, you know, drive down my seventy feet of wheelchair ramp that we made and get in that, you know, look at the pond and fish off my dock and you know, I always called up my little oasis. It was my area, I loved so much. The, it sounds, um, yeah, it was, it was. Um, I I really, really loved that area. I loved the camper. It was wheelchair accessible, and my 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 good friend was he got arrested for a on on me. I mean, we 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 were friends, and I still don't understand it today. And what the campground turned around and what they did, it was, it was just an awful situation. Losing the camper, just losing anything. They, they basically, they ended,
2: up, um, they ended up not renewing our site because Dave and Carly had been there 17 years. And we had renewed our site for the following year and we were looking forward to it. And they basically sent us a letter saying, you can't come back and here's your money back. Here's your deposit. That's
1: awful. It's that even is. worse is uh, we came to get our stuff. And now this is 2020. Um, coronavirus comes and everything's shut down. So we went to the campground, we grabbed a few things and we were to be back two weeks later, pick up our camper. And during uh, the coronavirus, you know, the whole state with the non-eviction and all that. And the police said we had time to get our camper out. The campground actually took the camper and um, they they took it right out from underneath us.
0: And where were you living at this time? So we were
2: actually at the campground and we were waiting for an apartment to come through for the end of October when our seasonal site was done. And they took the camper from you? They did. They did. I ended up finding a cute little apartment in Concord, which was great, um, and a nice little uh, two-family. And uh, we had to accessorize it a little bit to make it wheelchair accessible, but um, after that, we moved in here, and uh, things are great. And you've been there since 2020? We have. We've been there, actually, since 2019.
0: Many, many ups and downs. I mean, this truly is a roller coaster for you how did you keep it together as a couple
2: it was hard i mean towards the end towards like the end of october middle of october 9 2019 you know we were kind of starting to get at each other's throats and as most couples do you know the stress just takes a toll on you and i physically was just sick every day and just so stressed out waiting for some good news and Finally, some good news came through and Alan and I had a chance to breathe again and we had a chance to relax and get our life back on track and, you know, get our routine going again and um, get Alan back into therapy and just resume our schedule. And once we got this apartment, like I said, it was able to, we were able to pick right up where we left off and even stronger than we were before.
0: And how was that possible, Amy? Because... The statistics are so many people, their, their relationships end, both with their significant other, with family members, with friends. Um, you two have been through way more than anybody else will ever go through in their lifetime. How do you manage to do it?
2: So for me, I always remember at the end of the day that Alan is still the same person. He's still the person that I shared dreams with. He's still the person I shared how I wanted to retire or spend the, you know, the next chapter of my life with. That's the big thing for me is just keeping my eye on the the bigger picture of Alan is still that person. He's still my person.
1: And Alan, how about you? After the assault, um, I went downhill for a while. I I very much pushed Amy away. I was... I was a mess. Didn't, wasn't really sure where life was gonna take me at that point. In my mind, we had no place to go. In my mind, I thought it would be so much easier for Amy just to be able to find a place on her own and she didn't have to worry about me. You know, in my mind, after the assault happened, I mean, the things that went through my mind are, um, are awful. I was never one of those ones that, um, you know, thought about taking their own life or, or just, I, I fought so much through my accident. I fought, and I fought, and I fought, and after this assault, I thought suicide would be a better way out. That, that assault, it, it put me, it put me down in a hole much larger than that accident, or any accident, or anything else ever would. I'm so sorry to hear that, Alan. After, the, you know, after um, Amy found the apartment, and like she said, we're able to, to take a breath. Life turned around. Things started to look up. Um, re- one of the reasons I, I wasn't able to, you know, take care of that house is because i had an issue with my social security and um a little too late but as we moved into the apartment the social security ended up getting um
2: worked its way out
1: yeah it it worked its way out and we're able to comfortably furnish our new home and um start our next chapter and we call it our you know our second life because it's definitely a second life for me so i never should have made it through that yeah. accident yeah
0: that is a beautiful thing and
1: you've been through a lot my friend
0: and amy you've been through a lot too mm-hmm. and just to hear that your relationship has gotten stronger speaks volumes to your character to both of you as individuals, it, it really does. And I just think as a, as a couple, I think that that's going to help a number of people who are struggling with their lives, you know, to hear from you firsthand what you've been through mm-hmm. and how you've been able to turn things around and, you know, adversity after adversity after adversity. And you just keep climbing that mountain as it, it's remarkable, you're, you're remarkable people.
2: Thank you. It's, you know, it's not easy and people do have to put the work in. And, you know, if when you dedicate yourself to somebody to be their caregiver or to, you know, be their primary caregiver, that's a, that's a true dedication. It's, it's something you have to make sure you're 100% ready to devote yourself to. And uh, like I said, it's for me, I can, I can put that part of my life as this is just a, a chunk of my day that I have to take care of. And then once that's done, life is life.
0: Well, to be able to do both, you are a saint. And I speak from the heart when I say that because I know how difficult it is on a, a uh, significant other to be able to do that.
1: Thank you. Do you know one thing I will say is, um, you know, we, we can throw religion at it, we can throw whatever you want at it, but either you can say life only gives you what you can handle or you can say God only gives you what you can handle. That's truly what it is. You get things thrown at you and no matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, you work through it, and just take a deep breath. You can get through almost anything. We can,
0: and I think it's important to to realize that we need to attach ourselves to people that are willing to help. Right. Because there are lots of people who aren't willing to help, and that can be a, a that can be really negative and detrimental to us being in the wheelchair or, or, you know, the spouse as well uh, needs to understand that. But there are lots of people out there that love us and want to see us do better as individuals and as couples, and we need to latch onto their wagon. And, you -hmm. know,
2: that's our our circle of friends. Definitely, definitely. No, you, you learn your circle of friends pretty quick. And when Pretty you're quick. And, and, and you have the friends, too, that also accept you as an interabled couple, and then you have the friends that, you know, don't accept it and say, oh, well, you, you can't leave at a certain time, or you can't meet me at a certain time. And it's like, actually, no, I can if you schedule it in advance, and I can plan around it. But getting other people to make plans is a little more difficult, and as you know, we can't control others' behaviors.
0: <laughs> That's right. And... I am so thankful to both of you for coming on the podcast. Um, Before I do go, there is some news that I would like you to share with the audience because I heard about this a few weeks ago on a a Zoom call with Alan. So Mm -hmm. who wants to share this, this
2: little bit of information that we haven't covered yet? Oh, I can share that. So Alan, after six years, finally asked me to marry him. That is so. Needless awesome. to say, to the to the viewers, the divorce did finally go through. It took a while, but it did finally go through.
0: <laughs> that is wonderful, wonderful news. Congratulations to both
2: of you. Thank you.
1: On that, that is. Yeah. Do you know um, that and? Getting married, um, what we said in the beginning, learning your new life. This whole wheelchair thing, It's you're um, starting out, it's it's really not as bad as, as what you think. You can make a really good life and you can enjoy life. And there's always ways around obstacles that you're going to come up against. For sure, um, one thing I've actually have had figured out is throughout your injury and you um, overcoming that overcoming that injury and again becoming your your new self you you find different different um different steps like for a while I got really big into you know, doing wood burning, and wood burning was, it was was so helpful now that I look back at it. Because wood burning helped me move these fingers around and move these arms and and sand in the wood. and Just doing all that, I didn't realize I'm I'm building things and I'm also doing, you know, rehab at the same time. And it actually turned that into um, a hobby.
0: And so it's very therapeutic to you, Alan. And it's it's more than a hobby. You're making a business out of this, correct?
2: He's trying, yeah.
0: And and what is the name of the the wood burning company that you're starting?
1: It is my last name. People are better with the stick with your name, right? But it is Corpus Creation. Good
0: for you. And how can people find out more about this, Alan? I guess Alan has a website.
1: End. Yeah. Got a website, Copus Creations. Just go on and you check it out. It's a, it's a start. It's we're, we're just starting out. This is all new to me. Just like this wheelchair is all new to me. And I figured <laughs> this out. And you know what? I'll figure this uh, this next chapter out.
0: I'm sure you will. And Alan, what is uh, wood burning? Just to give the
1: audience a 30 second elevator pitch on that all right so two things wood burning one is taking a you know an iron and, and doing your you know regular wood burning whether you're writing some names down there or live free or die or or wood burning is taking a torch and burning the wood and um sanding it and putting some. putting it,
2: it enhances the grain brings the grain of the wood out
0: that's amazing and Alan, I wish you the best of luck with your new business endeavor, and to both of you, I am so grateful for you coming on the podcast and for taking the time to tell your story. Which everybody's story is different, but you, know, you kept climbing that mountain, and it's it really is remarkable what you've been through. And I'm wishing you brighter, sunnier days moving forward and it sounds like you've got a lovely place there in concord and i can't wait to check it out absolutely
2: can't wait to have you
0: well there we have it another episode of through thick and thin we would like to thank alan and amy for their kindness and generosity in sharing their story we hope it helps someone else going through a similar situation in life Special thanks to Alan for sharing his artwork with his custom woodworking. His creations can be found at Colpus Creations. that's C-O-L-P-A-S, creations.wordpress.com. And a quick update for you. Alan's court case was heard last week and the person who hit him on his wheelchair was found innocent of all charges.